I just didn't value looks. I didn't value appearance. I didn't value like the value set in my home was very similar to, it was just about, did you try your hardest? Did you do what you said you were going to do? Kathleen Griffith's passion is to help female entrepreneurs start their own companies and architect the life of their dreams. Kathleen is a self-made, successful businesswoman and leading voice in the women's space, owner of female-focused marketing consultancy, Grace & Co., which works with Fortune 500 brands and media companies. In the past five years alone, Kathleen has directed more than $500 million in marketing dollars and generated over a billion dollars in profit for clients ranging from Nike women to Verizon. Her first investment, which she advised alongside LinkedIn co-founder Reed Hoffman, was acquired by Dropbox. She also funded and founded Build Like a Woman, a global platform providing inspiration, tools, and community for women to rise and thrive in all aspects of their businesses and lives. All right, we are here today with Kathleen Griffith, who I am really happy and excited to have you on. Uh, It's great to connect with you through the super connector, David Meltzer, once again, uh, makes a wonderful introduction. Uh, So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, he strikes again. Happy to be here. Yeah, good. Okay, so tell me, Kathleen, just kind of backing all the way up, as you know, our format is really to tell the full life journey. Tell me a little bit about yourself kind of starting at a very early age. What was your family dynamic like? You know, what what brought you into this world and, and how was that? So I grew up in a town in Westchester. I uh, was the child of a Canadian. So my dad is from the prairies of Regina, Saskatchewan, middle of nowhere. Um, My mom is a Southern woman from North Carolina. So really kind of traditional values, um, really wholesome, kind of decent people, lifers at companies, you work 30 years somewhere, you know, and then you retire sort of, um, sort of folks. So I'm a totally accidental entrepreneur. I, you know, I think I knew from a very early age that I was kind of drawn to creating things. I, in middle school had something called the snack attack pack, which I'd make little snacks, um, for people in the morning and, you know, rap on the loudspeaker at uh, my school. I would do the morning announcements and try to peddle the snack attack packs. So you don't feel your hunger coming back. And you know, <laughs> it was literally a rap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Full blown rap. Okay. Um, you know, I'm going to have to see if I can find that somewhere. Yeah. That's, I had a talk <laughs> show called It's Time to Talk where I would interview. Uh, friends about consumer testing on products and animal products and, you know, just always had a different... And I had brand sponsors, which is the funniest thing to look back on. It's time to talk. I think I gave credits for like, you know, 10 minutes at the end for all my brand sponsors. I'd like to thank Avis Renicar, We Try Harder and American Airlines. And it's it's actually funny because you you hear kind of all these 1980s brands, which is when I was a kid, it was like, oh, forgot about Nine West and forgot about uh-huh. Bath and Body Works. Right. 
but yeah, just was already kind of thinking about, I would have brand sponsors if I were to have a show. And you you were how old when you were doing this? I mean, I could send you the tape. I think I was eight, eight, nine. Wow. And how are you even going about getting brand sponsors? How did you even like make that happen? I made it up. Oh, it was all made up. If I were to have a show, of course, there would be brands that would want to be sponsored. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. So, so just like a lot of imagination, you know, like tell me more about kind of what you were up to with that. You know, we, my dad had this idea that as a, you know, Canadian, we should be, my brother and I have got a little brother who's three years younger, should be outside at least an hour a day. And growing up, in New York, in the Northeast, it gets really cold. Um, There's not a whole lot to do. We didn't have a ton of toys. And so you're kind of left to the devices of your own imagination. And so that was one of those, you know, the really beautiful parts about growing up that way. And that sort of experience is you were just constantly creating games and ideas and thinking about how you could create them out of nothing. You know, how do you take something from like, idea to conception? How do you, um, you know, how do you breathe life into something? And so the outdoors was really like a place of imagination. And then when I'd come in and it was warm and I was allowed after an hour to come back inside, you know, I would then scramble to want to put these ideas together that, you know, I'd concepted outdoors. So Mm. it's really a miracle I had any friends now looking back on it with mm-hmm. all the schemes I was running uh, and people <laughs> would be enlisted into an hour outdoors in the sub-zero Arctic temperatures followed by like a strange impromptu um, business idea. I loved playing office. I love uh-huh. putting someone outside my door and saying, hold my calls. <laughs> yeah. No, take, take messages and, they'd come in and, you know, I'd be upset if they told me that no one called and we're taking it a little too, we're actually in reality. Like we needed to kind of suspend reality a little bit. Oh, it's interesting. I mean, you know, especially because what you said about your parents, that they were like these career people, right? That like you stayed in your thing and, 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 and you have this, like, I don't know, maybe you're just born with this, this imaginative way to explore and create and and yet like even wanting to do that like in an office context like this clearly like you were drawn to business but but like where does it come from do you think it's just kind of how you were born or where did you kind of land on business yeah that's it's an interesting it's an interesting distinction because everything did tend to funnel toward, okay, how could I make a business out of it? It wasn't just, the game did stop at a certain point. And then it was, how could I sell a snack attack pack? Or like, how could I get sponsors? Or, you know, the town that I grew up in was, there were a ton of businessmen. And most, again, still had traditional uh, businesses. The the lion's share, I don't want to over-rotate on this because you know, I'd hate for it to be taken out of context, but the the lion's share of the women that were in my town didn't work. And so I think there was a part of me that was fascinated or didn't work outside of the home. I mean, of course, being a mother is, is work and very serious work and in a lot of respects harder than uh, than running a business. But 
I think I was curious with the idea of what could it look like for me to do those things and almost feeling like it was a space I wasn't really supposed to be playing in all that much. Um, but, but was drawn to it was, I think was drawn to seeing how these people had created these businesses themselves and it had kind of the success and, um, you know, how could I play around with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was just kind of like a, also, you know, a, a, a curiosity and intrigue. Were you, were you also somebody that like, kind of liked to do the things that, that nobody else was doing? I mean, you know, the fact that there weren't a lot of women role models in your town that were in the business world, was that like part of this, like, you know, I want to, I want to do something different than everybody else was doing? I definitely have a defiant streak in my personality. I uh-huh. think, um, you know, even in, in high school, I felt like an outsider. I never really felt, even though I played sports and had popular friends and was on the homecoming court or what, you know, was a part of the senior superlatives, all those things. I always felt like my interests were in so many different places. Like I loved science and I loved doing research projects. I would go and dissect animals on the weekends and, you know, won a big award from IBM for science being like a promising young scientist. But then I love sports and considered myself an athlete and love business and just how things worked and how could you make money selling things. I was fascinated by this idea of like, you know, whether it was babysitting, whatever it was, that how could I how could I make money doing it? You know, have this kind of value exchange. And, and I think for the most part, the people that I was seeing at the time were one dimension. You know, it was, it was the 80s, 90s, and you were kind of expected to sit in a certain sort of box. And now we have a lot more acceptance around being a multi-hyphenate or a slasher, someone who's got a ton of different interests in a lot of different areas. But back then, I just remember feeling like I was drawn to a lot of different things, travel, you know, traveled all over the world when I was young, even alone, but, but, um, and wanting to do things my own way, but just feeling like an odd duck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering, because, you know, you mentioned homecoming and senior superlatives and being an athlete and kind of what, what, what feels like you're really in a very kind of mainstream or popular um, kind of uh, typical high school experience, yet you describe yourself as like feeling like an outsider. Was that kind of an internal feeling? Like you were able to navigate it all real well and like, you know, kind of fit in, but internally you didn't feel like uh, something was really aligned? Yeah, I think, and I think that's something that we deal with all the time in life. There's, there's, are you aligned internally? And then does the outside world align with you? Or is kind of, are you in, and and I really think true, like peace and joy is when there is intention between those two worlds. You're just in a state of kind of total alignment between, but, but you don't get to really do that as a kid. You don't get to create your external world. Like now as an adult, I'm able to do that. And so there's, no conflict. And I'm, you know, totally at peace because I'm allowed to show up that way and own it and be interested in all these things. And it actually works really well for business. But 
yeah, I think at the time there's this feeling, there's not a feeling of harmony because you can't manipulate external variables to align with you internally yet. And you don't know how to do that and you don't know how to express it and you don't know how to talk about it and you don't know how to kind of create it. So you're trying to kind of jam yourself into what at least you think you should be doing um, and how you should be acting and how, you know, all that. You're just, it's a constant state of like, conflict, which I think a lot of young people have, which is, you know, why, why we've got the rates of anxiety and depression. So these other things that we're seeing, you know, because of that. Yeah. And, and you're right. I think there is kind of this expectation that's placed on performance. And you had mentioned before we started that, you know, you're a junkie for kind of this performance world. And I think, you know, we'll talk about that maybe in a little bit, because I think you're definition of performance is different than maybe the ones that you take on when you're a kid and you think that you're supposed to excel in certain things, or maybe in your case, like in a lot of things, can, can you maybe speak to where that came from? Was it, was it peers? Was it your parents? Was it internal drive combination of that you felt the kind of desire to perform at a high level? I had an incredible nanny who raised me when I was little, who played a really formative role. She was like lace curtain Irish, a uh, very devout Catholic woman, uh, love systems and rules and, um, you know, just finding a way to, um, to work kind of within a system. And I, and at the same time had this real kind of desire and pull to, be, you know, larger, she was larger than life. She had this incredible sense of humor and this dry sense of humor and wit and was very sassy and, you know, uh, would tell my parents that she would leave us at home. They were both working parents. If they were so much as five minutes late, she was walking and, um, you know, would dress to come to our home. She put on these like gorgeous pantsuits with hair and makeup and, earrings and the whole nine yards. And, and I, you know, I think she really taught me a lot just again about giving yourself permission to be a lot of things. So in our home, there was this sense of this person who was, you know, had a lot of unrealized dreams and things she wanted to do that I don't think ever got around to doing, but had a lot of different interests. And so that was kind of our you know, safe space to at home kind of try some of that stuff on. And she exposed me to a lot, but then instilled in me this work ethic and rigor. She had to work so hard for every single dollar. And she had six children, had to support all of them. And so, you know, I think I just come from this really long line of women, my mother included, my other, you know, maternal grandmother, my dad's mother, who ran a one-room schoolhouse on the prairies of Regina, Saskatchewan, grades K through 12, had five children of her own. Just these women with this real serious backbone in work ethic and grit and determination, and some might call it stubbornness. You know, there's like the negative adjective for all this ambition, stubbornness, but it was really about uh, driving impact and creating impact in no matter how big 
your sphere of influence was. So that's the important distinction. It wasn't for my nanny, her world was our home and it was about, you know, making that a certain way and having impact there and impacting my brother and I and our character and who we were, you know, my mom, it was more professional in a professional realm. So the sphere of influence was, you could say a bit wider, uh, so on and so forth. So I think just these, these women who are very unique characters and also, but marry that with this real strong desire to realize things and are willing to work really hard for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important, you know, you clearly use kind of this experience in these role models to go on and create. And we'll talk about some of the work that you're doing, but the importance of, of um, women and it, you know, shows up early in your life. Does, is that nanny with you through high school? I mean, what how, what years is she in your life? She was with me until I was thirteen, so okay. a little yeah. older probably than you know. She probably could have left two or three years prior, but mm-hmm. stayed on because she was almost a grandmother figure. Yeah, like she was sure. older. I think she was in her seventies, late sixties, mm-hmm. seventies. So kind of a Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. Um, figure. But, you know, also the importance of male role models. My dad was uh, such a believer in treating me exactly like my brother. And so I I don't think I ever heard you're pretty or you look nice or you're beautiful. Like none of the traditional, I just didn't value looks. I didn't value appearance. I didn't value like the value set in my home was very similar to, it was just about, did you try your hardest? Did you do what you said you were going to do? You know, it was that kind of system. And I, I think my dad played a huge role in treating my brother and I so similarly growing up. There really wasn't like a gender distinction. Mm, yeah, also makes sense. And And really, you know, just kind of, uh, observing your work and kind of just spending a little time with you now, seeing kind of that there there is a real strength that you know you do have a confidence and a and a strength and um, you know have you you you've been driven and successful and and you know that has to come with building some real core you know character you you have to really uh, know who you are and be, believe in who you are and and know that you're capable and, and you know, willing to, you know, get into the tough stuff and come out on the other side, that, that's, that's something that you learn. You can learn in a lot of ways, but in your case, it sounds like, you know, you really had great role models that, that role modeled that for you as much as it was taught. I, that's such a good point. And, and for us growing up, it was about my parents would invest in education or travel. Those were the two areas where they would not question if you wanted to take a trip somewhere, or course, some, you know, go. I went to Duke Science Camp one summer. And um, now looking back in retrospect, that was probably a stretch for them a little bit financially, but they just did it because it was something I wanted to do. And, you know, that was something that wasn't an area they were going to compromise. But then when it came to things like I wanted Barbie, you know, I wanted all the things. And they were just unwilling to do a lot of that in a town where there's a lot of affluence and other people have all those things. You know, at the time, I, you hate it. I hated it. I was like, why, you know, why is my tree not covered with 
the same volume of gifts as all my friends are getting. But, but yeah, now you see there was like a method to that madness of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I don't know if you've had a chance to talk to your parents about that, but was that, you know, intentional on their part? That was, you know, clear. They wanted to really show you what they valued and, and made that clear. I think it was reality, you know, yeah. like they were young, hardworking people. Yeah. And yeah. That was the best they could do. And, uh, if money was going to go somewhere, it was like, okay, that's where it's going to go. Yeah. Um, well, I'm curious because, you know, you do eventually go into business and you were gravitating to business from a very young age. I'm wondering what role did that kind of stuff, you know, wanting things and not really being able to have things, how much did money really motivate you even as a, as a young entrepreneur? So my... My entrepreneurship piece kind of kicked in a lot later. I did about a decade stint at working at really big ad agencies, 2,000, 3,000 person shops and denied. I kept toying with the idea. I had a little t-shirt company on the side where I was selling t-shirts, would do like New York Fashion Week, sell t-shirts and then retreat back into my stable job. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there it was really about how fast can you kind of ascend and climb in more of a corporate environment. But I had this nagging feeling, again, kind of lack of an internal external alignment. I call these like big B breakdowns, little B breakdowns, but I was having a little B breakdown, which is kind of this gnawing lack of alignment. It's a pebble in the shoe. Like it is just always gnawing at you that this is not right. Mm-hmm. And each time I kept coming back to starting my own thing or being an entrepreneur, I was met with not intentionally, but just resistance from my family because there's no entrepreneurs in the family, immediate family, extended family. Um, no one works in business. And so just this idea of going and making that leap and starting your own business, you know, I think out of a desire to protect me, the family wasn't very supportive of that. And so it was just kind of this secret thing I would dream about and, you know, work on, on the side, I guess they now it's called a side hustle. Yeah. (laughs) And I I want to, yeah, I want to hear, you know, kind of eventually that jumping off point. But before we get to that, you know, I think what you're highlighting is something that's really interesting. And I think it's common still to this day, you know, today, side hustles and young entrepreneurs and just the entrepreneurial world as a whole, well more understood, accepted, embraced, even held up. I mean, when I was a kid, it was like doctors and lawyers, right? Now, you know, entrepreneurs are starting to kind of have that kind of cachet. But but I think there's still a lot of um, kind of thoughts, opinions, judgments that parents have, you know, I do it, you know, I'm a parent and, and we think that we know what's best for our kids and, and our intentions are good. You know, we we're, we're, we're trying to be protective and we're trying to use our own experience and we're trying to, you know, really help our children. And I don't want to, you know, put words in your parents' mouth. So I'd like to kind of hear your thinking, but it sounds to me like you are excelling in all of this stuff in high school and and I'm guessing go to college and kind of start to go down this traditional route 
um, because that's the world that you're living in. That's the expectation. That's the just kind of societal norm, uh, right? When, when really, you know, you're this little kid that's walking around imagining, you know, being, you know, using your imagination to think about, you know, how you might be in business, right? But you, you go off into the more norm societal, right? I did the same thing. Is that yeah. true for you? Is that what happened? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I did the life I was supposed to do for at least 10 years. I, 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 across the board, not just in business, but, you know, was with the guy I was supposed to be with, was in the job I was supposed to, did the check, check. Um, and as part of that, you know, to your earlier question about money and acquiring, then you have the means, you get those things and you're like, okay, there's no there there actually. All right. I have a really nice watch. Okay. I've got a really nice piece of jewelry. I was able to, okay. got a, okay. You know, and there's just, it doesn't, it doesn't end up filling that. Um, it doesn't end up filling anything substantive. It really doesn't. And so I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, look, do I wish I could help people? And it's part of why I even do these things. Like, can I save you a decade of your life where you just go for it and gun? And I think to your point, culture is just so much more supportive right now of even doing that and feeling like that's a legitimate path. Get after it now, you know, because what you learn is when you're not chasing down what you're meant to be doing, what you were put on this planet to do, you waste a lot of time, you know, pursuing these kind of like circuitous paths, just proving to you, to yourself kind of what you knew all along. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that was very much my journey is, is living that facade and, and, and doing that kind of pretend life that wasn't really meant for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. I've I've often kind of grappled with this myself because uh, I spent 15 years in corporate America doing all the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing, and following in the kind of societal fabric and proving myself and pleasing and you know looking good and whatever else, right? Acquiring stuff and. I've often kind of wondered about what you just said and kind of given the same advice, just go right to what your heart is calling you to do and trust it and get in at the bottom and spend that 15 years learning it and, you know, follow your passions. And and I believe in all of that. I really do. But I don't know for me if I would have done what I'm doing or really had the same kind of appreciation for it had I not had that other experience. And so sometimes I'm a little conflicted. And, you know, when you say like, you know, we're brought into this world to do a certain thing, you know, my, I have a kind of a spiritual belief that like, it's all happening, right? And it's all happening as it's, it's meant to be. And there's no wasted, there's no wrong, but I'm just kind of curious to hear your thoughts on kind of how these kind of experiences really did unfold in a way that end up serving you. Right. Well, I, I, I think you're also meant to be, to your point about, again, whether in business or life, you're meant to have certain experiences too that break you so that you're able to find 
what really drives you and what you believe to be your ultimate purpose. And sometimes that stuff cracks you open when you're a kid. You know, I was lucky that for all intents and purposes, like I had a pretty idyllic childhood. Um, you know, and that happens really early for some people. For me, that that really kind of happened again a bit later in life, and sometimes not even in these uh, catastrophic ways, but just the the you know gnawing feeling that you needed to be doing something, and that kind of breaking a part of you to say, I don't really want to live. I don't want to be a fraud, and I don't want to show up in a way that isn't wholly me anymore. Like I'm you know, I just don't want to live that way anymore. So I think all of that stuff plays out exactly how it's meant to, and everything is in perfect order and we're all exactly where we are meant to be. So all of that is true. Um, and I do think that's the, that's the beauty of it is, but it's knowing when to chase something it's knowing, okay, this thing keeps coming at me and it's time I stop denying it. And it's time I now actually go chase that down because there's a reason something continues to surface in your life. There's a reason you're drawn to certain people and things and ideas, usually because you're meant to co-create with them in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually kind of come like full circle on this conversation. Um, this is, you know, a conversation I have with myself quite a bit, <laughs> but um, that, that, and I really like how you, you phrase that, like you, you need these breakdowns, you know, that you need to be cracked open, that, that that's kind of part of that journey. And part of what I've kind of decided is that, you know, to your point of advising people that they can skip that and they can kind of go right to the thing that they love. They don't have to. I think that's actually also part of my experience. Sounds like maybe your experience too, is to then be able to help people really um, get the learning they need, but do it in a, in a way that's a little more direct. Um, I don't know if that's possible or not, but it's kind of my hope is that part of my journey right. and people like you and who have had a similar journey can actually make it easier for another generation by sharing this experience. Yeah. And just the, you know, I think we're, we're primed to, or at least my generation was primed to think when things start to go wrong or your life looks really different or you're living in a constant state of fear, like that's an indication that something's gone horribly wrong. When in reality, we know that it's actually, chances are you're pursuing something that is really meaty and meaningful. And so I think part of it, you know, part of the greatest gift we can give is just helping with those reframes so that it's, a, it's just, all it is. It's just a change in perspective and how you get to these things as, okay, negative, 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 or no, the greater the breakdown, the greater the breakthrough that's coming for me in my life. This is actually a really good sign. Like things are falling apart because something is waiting for me on the other side of that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, you know, you, you mentioned that you start to kind of go into this, this path that feels like what you're supposed to do, which includes large marketing firms. Tell me a little bit about kind of what you're doing there and, and how long you do it. And then this, this, you know, nagging kind of gnawing feeling that, you know, eventually you have to chase. Uh, tell me about kind of all of that, how that unfolded. 
So I started uh, as an assistant to the assistant of the assistants at, a, at an agency called Deutsche Advertising. I found the job off of monster.com. I graduated with highest honors from college and thought getting a first job would be kind of easy breezy. And uh, it wasn't, you know, the market obviously wasn't as bad as it is today, but it was just, there was a lot of uh, constriction. And um, so you had to start at the bottom, literally at the bottom. Um, and I started there and I like the idea that it melded creativity with business. So I like to be marrying those two because I'm a very creative person as kind of you'd mentioned and have been from a very early age. And I now actually identify with, I'm more of a creative director on my business. And I have other people who think about operations and all of that because I've just let, let that part go. Um, over time. Um, but, but really, really enjoyed that really loved that process of kind of taking something again from an idea into market and, um, continued that, you know, so initially was kind of working that working, how do I move up? How do I get more experience? Started in account management, uh, moved into more strategic roles, moved into new business roles. And I kept chasing thinking that if I just went to the next right agency, I'd find the perfect home. I'd find the perfect culture. Again, this feeling of like, I can't create it. So let me just force fit into the right place. Um, And I did that. I moved agencies every three years or so. And I would try to start again in a new discipline, like I was saying, from account management. Then I'd move into strategy. Then I'd move again and I'd take a global new business role and learn new business, which I'd never done before. And then, um, so there was, a, there was a lot of just jungle gymming going on. And then on the side, again, had this t-shirt company and, uh, and that was just this fun passion project where I was selling t-shirts and diff- doing different designs and, um, and and starting the process of getting a URL and a website. And that was this little secret I had with myself. I didn't talk to anyone about it, but it was the idea that I would maybe end up starting something someday, somehow, some way. Yeah. And and so the t-shirt business, tell me a little bit about that. You know, what was it? What was it? And was it just you? I mean, was this kind of like how how big of a secret was this? It was so it was just me and I don't need, I'm not even into clothes really all that much. I don't, I think it was just the idea of um, being able to manufacture an actual product and then sell it in stores, you know, Barney's at the time. And there were a lot of different uh, stores. There was New York Fashion Week. And so you could kind of do promotional events and parties there. And, um, and yeah, I would just, I just enjoyed the process of figuring everything out. It's like, okay, how do you create something? How do you print it? How do you get a design? How do you get a logo? How do you do accounting? Just all these things I had no idea, but the idea that you can figure anything out. I love Marie Forleo as a saying, like everything's figure outable. Mm-hmm. So that taught me that truly everything is figure outable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, as like, your self-described creative director that it's not so much about like the, 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 I don't know, the design. Uh, It's more about, it might be more about like um, the creation of the whole company. 
Is that, is that true? I mean, is that how you see yourself as a creator is kind of all of the aspects of what it means to create as a, as an owner, as a founder, or is it more kind of in the, the art part of the creativity? It's definitely the former. It's the former. It's saying, how would we go and disrupt? I love taking, you know, categories I've never worked in before, endemically, like male-oriented categories are sometimes really interesting, Um, different industries I've never worked in before. And just thinking about from an outside-in perspective, how could this space be disruptive? How could it be thought about differently? And a lot of times your inexperience there becomes a huge asset because you're able to kind of conceive of, you're not mired by the traditional institutional processes and ways of doing things. And so you're able to kind of not get hung up on that and just bring a really fresh perspective to like, okay, what would, what would it look like to create a digital course and disrupt e-learning or what would it be like to create, you know, something new in VR and what could that look like? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's the right way to describe it. It's 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 business. There should be a term for this, like business creative, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a it's a the thing is that I think most people use the word creativity as something that's um kind of put in a box that usually is uh connected to some sort of uh art. And, you know, it could be a fine art or it could be a movie or it could be, you know, um, branding and marketing. I mean, it could be digital, you know, it does, it, 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 that is kind of the traditional thinking around creativity. I, I think what people don't really understand is that you can be a creator of anything. You can create your life. You can create your business. You can create a conversation. You can create, you know, a whole bunch of things. And that does take some, um, some real imagination and it takes real creativity to be a creator of anything that you want to produce. And business, I think is often kind of pushed into a different category when really it's, it's absolutely creativity. Yeah. And I, I'm really interested with this idea of, you were talking about money before and, you know, and you know, probably in your journey, that's initially what you chase. And then you don't chase it at all. (laughs) It's like, you're, it's, it's the, that is the last thing that I'm thinking about is, okay, how do I now I'm, I'm creating from a place of purpose and intention. And then how do I make this hit the market in a way where it can now survive and thrive and live in the world? And oftentimes then there is a commodity exchange. There's a you know dollar exchange to keep that alive because it's important that it lives in the world and survives in the world. And so then you're, you're tied to making sure that it survives. Um, but it's not about, it's no longer about making money. It's about driving impact through these ideas and changing people's lives through these ideas. And then how do those things go the distance? So uh, they just don't end up, you know, getting obfuscated. (laughs) Yeah. I want to talk to you about that, but, but tell me first. So what is the, what is the official jumping off point where you, you really do go into your own business and start to create? 
So I um, was at a, a large agency in probably it was it was the most grueling role I'd had. Um, and I was working most nights and weekends, had virtually no personal life at that point. I'd started missing friends, the birth of friends, kids and graduations and weddings. And um, I'd gone pretty much a whole year without seeing or celebrating anyone that was important to me and family is really important and friends, you know, community is really important to me. Um, You know, my health was not in the best shape. I wasn't working out the way I wanted to. Um, and I just, I felt like I truly just reached again, a breaking point where the, the risk of staying felt so much greater in addition to kind of the spiritual toll that it was taking than having the courage to make the leap. And I love this game, you know, what's the worst possible thing that can happen. And so I started to just play that out. Okay. I come back groveling on my hands, you know, to, to the industry who aren't even paying attention to what I'm doing in the first place to say, whoops, I made a mistake. Can someone please hire me? You know, and I, I think the benefit of having enough of a reputation is you can come back, you know, you can, you, you can, you can try things and fail at them. And ultimately people are going to respect you for just the act of trying itself. Um, so I made the leap. I started my commitment to myself was getting my first client. That's what my dad told me to do. He said, you need to have your first client before you leave. And I had a non-compete. So I wasn't going to go after any fortune 100 brand, you know, big brand clients and wanted to be an integrity with that, with, you know, wouldn't have wanted to take them anyway. Um, and so I got a nonprofit client and, Um, I'd never worked in the nonprofit space before. I knew nothing about nonprofit marketing or branding, um, but was able to get one. And that was the beginning and resigned and started that one week later. Yeah, that's outstanding. And, and so that, is that Gracie? Yeah. Yeah. So Gracie and company, that that's the beginning of Gracie and Company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Grace Grace is actually my grandmother's name who had that schoolhouse, um, that one room schoolhouse. My dad's mom in Canada, and it's my middle name. And everyone is always, you know, as a branding person, everyone's like, "Well, the name is so important. The name is so important." And I'm just such a believer in like, it, as long as it has some level of emotional resonance for you, it's all about what you imbue and breathe into a brand name. You know, it could be called anything. It's kind of irrelevant. And just that name for me signified, again, this great matriarch who was 80, 90 pounds soaking wet and was such a strong, (laughs) determined, mighty, but silent character. Um, And I just felt like if she could do that, I could do this. And so now... um, you know, that represents kind of all the women who've come before us. And co is the idea that we just do this together. And um, all the women that I work with and men too, you know, they have these similar stories of just coming from these really interesting uh, matriarchs. Yeah. And and you've had, you know, a ton of success with this. Um, You know, I, my notes say that, you know, over the past five years, it, you've directed over $500 million in marketing dollars and you're working with Nike Women and Verizon and kind of all the big brands. But how, how did you get from that start 
with the nonprofit to where you are today. Tell me a little bit about that journey. Well, I'm just glad we're still here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get it. It's yeah. Uh, it's a rock, it's a real and and you have different challenges and as yeah. you as a business that were very different from uh from day one. Um but my second client was actually Verizon and um, I'd worked with them in the past. They knew me, you know, they, they knew my work in, in kind of business transformation. And um, I started there as a consultant and just started to kind of build out my team. There are a lot of agencies who have the story of like, you know, you have one client and then you kind of build your team off the back of that to start. Um, so they were the first and then, um, really wanted to work across different categories. And so, uh, started looking at different sport was Nike was the dream working in sport was something I always wanted to do just given how much it impacted me as a young girl, being able to play sports and, um, and feel comfortable with competition. And it's a team sport. Everything's a team sport. There's no I and team, like all that. Um, and so we, we really just started kind of going in, working with CEOs, CMOs, um, did a lot of pitching. So there was, there have been lulls in the business where you just pitch ad nauseum. And, um, when we started marketing to women, kind of going after the female target deliberately and not haphazardly, it was something people didn't really even understand as hard as that is to imagine now, just given the state of culture and where we are and, you know, how much brands really want to get this right. Um, at the time it was, it was not easy. And so I started more general market and then have increasingly over the years pivoted to, to do what I love to do, which is really focus on serving women. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's really interesting that, you know, you've kind of landed on this, um, even the name, you know, that you've really, the you, way you describe the importance of, of breathing life into a brand, that it, it comes from your own story. It comes from your own passion. It comes from, from within, you, you know, you, you, you wanted to honor your grandmother and that wasn't just like as a, as a, as a, an honor to her. This was like a reminder for you of what this business is going to be about. And, and then, you know, you continue to do that by, you know, bringing forward the women in your life and the experiences you've had to want to provide these services for, for women. It, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. Actually, I want to read, you know, there's a quote here that you, um, is, uh, that kind of speaks to this. You talk about, you know, being fully integrated, but you say it just so happens that bringing your whole self and a value centric approach to your business is not only nice, it is the single greatest X factor to success. I, I could not agree with that more. This is like the thing I probably am most excited about and passionate about that, that bringing your whole self really is the greatest X factor. I love the way that you you said that. And that's what you're doing. You're just bringing yourself, your passions, your family, your life, your experience. And look at the, the free zone frontier there is for you to have success in that way, right? Yeah. And isn't that, I mean, like, I love that you say that you think it is 
you know, that you think it is just so incredibly important because to me, the, the leaders that I admire the most, there's no distinction. It's like, there's no line of demarcation between where the founder begins and the company ends. It is just an extension of who they are, what they believe, their value set. Um, and, and there's no apologizing for that. There's no compromising on that. It's just, this is, you know, who we are. I think that the important piece to just acknowledge though, is I knew that's where I wanted to take it. And I knew that that was really important to me. Hence, like even making the leap in the first place, but sometimes we have to walk before we run. So, um, the name spoke to the fact I knew where I was going. I knew I really wanted to do this specific work around women in marketing, but initially just to literally build a business and stay alive, I had to do general market work and I had to do nonprofit work. And I had to do some of these other things that weren't really aligned in terms of the future vision. So I think that's another thing for people to think about, like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be right for right now. Mm. That's really good. You just kind of have to get on the path and then keep going. And, and it, it's not going to be a perfect uh, straight line. And, and yet it's all going to be, you know, right for now. You, you've, you've created a lot from this space. Um, Build Like a Woman and the female brand index. And I know you've done some investment, including having some success with, with um, Reed Hoffman, you know, talk a little bit about kind of, I'm imagining how this, you know, initial company and this, this bringing yourself to it and taking that leap is now just exploding into all these other things that are just, you know, a, a, a other ways to express yourself you know, tell me a little bit more about kind of what else you're up to and how that's unfolding for you. Well, I think once you become unleashed, so to speak, mm-hmm. and you really start owning, you know, for all of us, we have periods in our business, you know, even when we have our own companies where you're trying to be bigger than you are or smaller than you are or more successful than you are not as successful because you have to work with a startup or whatever it is. But, you know, over time, you just, you, you, you start to kind of own that DNA, that brand DNA. And then the question becomes, okay, people actually like this brand DNA. Now, how do we take it to kind of traverse and disrupt other categories and, and areas? And one of those, um, you know, in particular was just kind of every single level of, of brand. So whether you're a startup or you're an early kind of midsize, you know, high growth trajectory company, how do we now think about taking what we do and bringing that to bear for that sort of community? What would that look like? Um, whether it be courses or interviews, series, or, um, just sky's the limit in terms of what you can create from that place. Um, and we're really in particular focused on the women's space and helping every single woman know that um, if she's going to bet on anyone, she should bet on herself. And a lot of women are refusing to bet on themselves. So we want them first and foremost to understand that that's important. And then two, when you fall down, because you will know that you can get back up. And so if that's an ethos, you know, to kind of like just go build it, 
Um, what does that then look like in lots of different categories? And, um, you know, I'm really just kind of getting started. I think there's, there are so many different areas, as you can imagine, that I'm interested in, um, clothing. I mean, everything, furniture, like you Mm -hmm. name it, I'm interested in it. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that's going to be the next 20, 30 years of my life is going to just be giving myself even more permission to start playing in, in way more spaces and, you know, areas of, of interest, even if they seem disconnected to kind of the lay observer, knowing that they still have that same kind of ethos and DNA. Yeah, there's a common thread that you've seen. And this is actually, you know, what I've been doing too, is that although I spent most of my career in real estate and still have a significant investment in that segment, what I found as a founder is the things that allowed me to be successful were really this kind of um, uh, common thread that can be applied to almost anything. Mm-hmm. And, and it's about following your passion and it's about being fully expressed and it's about trusting yourself and surrounding yourself with the right people and the right tools and knowing your unique ability and you know all the other kind of branding and 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 marketing and aspects that I happen to love I can help apply that to other ideas other industries other people and I know that you know you um, have been doing some investing and that you've had some success doing that and elevator pitch. Talk a little bit about kind of your role as an investor, kind of being in that seat as opposed to being in the seat of founder where you're investing and I'm imagining, and I've seen you do this, you know, coaching, um, giving advice, advising, you know, talk about what, it, what it's like to be on that side. Because I, I think it's really important and you're seeing a lot more of this, um, women investors, you know, Shark Tank's done a great job, Elevator Pitch, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the venture capital firms now understand that they need female partners because they're chasing female founded businesses. Talk, talk about, you know, what it means to be a woman in the world of investing. My grandmother used to give very little amounts of money but she would give it to you and then she'd want you to then give part of it to someone else and, you know, take someone out my treat, take someone out to, for a cup of coffee with this. Um, but I just, I really believe in this idea of paying it forward. And I do not conceive of investing as a charity, like make no mistake about that. It's still very much business. Um, but but knowing how difficult it is to get something airborne and knowing what it felt like to not have really any entrepreneurs. I could even so much as call on a phone and say, Hey, have you guys ever experienced this before? Or, you know, should I be taking this much equity or is this insurance policy? Okay. Or what do you think? I literally, for the first three, four years of my business, I didn't even have anyone to call. And I was too embarrassed at that point. Now being a business owner to reach out and ask people for help. It just felt like, well, you should know that, or you should know these things if you're running a business and consulting with big, you know, companies. And so that's part of what I do. It's just, I'm investing in people. It is who is sitting in front of me that is, is literally dripping with this desire for this particular thing to be in the world. 
and they will do anything conceivable to make sure that it lands. Um, and so, you know, people that ideally I love, there are certain categories I like in particular, but people who are doing it again, not for the money, but because they really believe that there's a void in the market. This is solving a genuine need. You can tell when something's a manufactured need, you know, you can tell when someone's reverse engineered, like they created the product first and now they're kind of trying to create the need or they think it's just going to make them a crap ton of money. And now they're reversing into a story. Like that's not for me. I really like people who, you know, are, are doing something against the odds and want to create something that's truly disruptive and uh, have that mentality of ideally, like they're taking something to IPO one day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're not looking to do something small. Yeah. Well, uh, you certainly aren't doing small things. <laughs> and, um, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your full story and, and doing what you're doing. I mean, I think this is really important. You're using business uh, to bring yourself to the world and to help women all over the world. And, and, and it's not just women because there's um, you know, a lot of men involved in these organizations, you're just helping people, but you are focusing on the importance of women. And I think that's um, really important today and, and maybe more so than ever even. So thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for taking the time. Any final thoughts, anything you want to share with the audience kind of in uh, concluding? Just that idea of what would you do if you weren't afraid? I think that is just a great organizing principle for all of us, myself included, to keep coming back to, especially now where things going into, we're in 2021 and, um, you know, it's a new year. So what would it look like to take one risk, do one thing that scares you, big or small, write it down, make a declaration and go get after it. But thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute blast. You asked super insightful, very smart questions. I think you, we did therapy as well at the beginning of this. So um, never, never a bad thing. And uh, yeah, I just loved it. Thank you. Well, if I wasn't afraid um, when I was in, in college, I would have been a therapist. So (laughs) this is my way of doing therapy. Um, But it's, it's really my passion to really get you've integrated it, which is so, so cool. Yeah, I really do, you know, appreciate you seeing that and, and really highlighting the importance of integration. I, I really think, you know, you're on to something, your message is really strong. I share your passion around integrating and, and, and fully expressing ourselves as our secret sauce to success. Right. Not only are you just so much happier, that peace and joy you spoke of, you know, you get to live in peace and joy and it's not all peace and joy, but you get to experience that, you get to taste that and you get to be successful. You get to have the things you want because of it. And, and that's the thing I think that, um, you know, of, of all your messaging is really uh, most important to you and the thing that I also really believe in. So uh, Kathleen, thank you for being here. This was really uh, a pleasure. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. 
Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak. 